on this episode of Quantum Week, January 14th through 20th, 1996. Quantum Week, I'm Matt. I'm Chris. Quantum Week is a show in which Chris and I leap into a random week of a random year. We talk about movies, music, headlines, everything happening during that time period that makes it unique. And today, we start January 14th through 20th, 1996. No, this is our second one, actually, because we did the YouTube live. That's right. I'm traveling through time, kind of like our but movie. If you, if you, that's right. Uh, so, yeah, we are talking in January 1996. We're going to talk 12 Monkeys and the Mariah Carey song. One Sweet Day. One sweet day. Yeah. So, I know there's kind of a... Uh, I have, I've, been building this uh, unfortunate reputation of someone that uh, just basically takes something people love and just kind of shits on it. Um, So I'm going to do that like, I'm going to live up to my reputation today, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, so, no. Uh, uh, <laughs> if that's what you uh, come to listen to the show for. But Mariah Carey's like, my favorite. No, you're talking about 12 Monkeys. Um, both. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's talk 12 Monkeys. Let's get started. So first off, I, I do enjoy this movie. Um, okay, you do. I do. Well, I, you, were, you just said you were you made this, you made this big preface. I have uh, I have I, I I have issues with it. Okay, uh, that's issues all right. that I've seen this movie a few times. Yeah. So the issues that I have uh, are maybe unfair. Where it's you know it's kind of I, I always think it's a little bit unfair if you say you're like sick of a song. Well, it's not what the song's like intention was when you put it out. Yeah, it's not like the it wasn't song's meant fault. to be listened to a thousand a times. times. Right. Um. So with this movie, I just I'm noticing more and more like giant as you've holes. seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so I was a little disappointed the more I thought about it, especially for this podcast. Sure. I thought about it and thought about it. I'm like, oh man, it's like this things I just can't get past, but let's give your 15 second synopsis from dying finally, here. Finally, finally, finally. So in the year, in the 2030s, humans are basically, they're living underground because of a deadly disease that wiped out 99% of the population in 1997. So Bruce Willis is from the 2030s. That's where he's living now. He's sent back in time to find the army of the 12 uh, monkeys. And those are the group who are presumably responsible for unleashing this deadly disease. He's going there to find them so that it, they can send scientists back in time to study the disease and hopefully find a cure. That's right. It's directed by Terry Gilliam. Yep. Uh, cast includes Bruce Willis, uh, Brad, Brad Pitt. Pitt, who was nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. And uh, Madeline Stowe. Uh, they're all quite good. Uh, Terry Gilliam, brilliant job directing this. Um, yeah. So, Okay. Should we get into my issues with it or should we, I mean, do you want, it's up to you. I mean, do you want to talk about the good parts of it first? Yeah, let's talk about the good parts of it. First of all, the acting is really good. Bruce Willis, Brad exceptional. Yeah. Awesome. Malin's, um, uh, plumber is in it. Christian Romney has a small part. Yeah, he's small part. He's good. I, I don't really love his accent in this, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, David Morse too, who David later Morris, on, I really like David in Morris, other films. And David Morse is also great in St. Elsewhere. Uh, yes. That's where he got to start along, yep. along with Denzel Washington, Mark Harmon. A bunch of people got their start. Yeah. Uh, Ed, Ed Bigley Jr., Howie Mandel, all from St. Elsewhere, which in my opinion might be the best drama of the 80s. I don't think Actually, I ever I'm watched it. maybe out of it. It is the best drama of yeah. the 80s. Um, uh, and uh, Morris is quite good in it. He's, I think he's there the entire run. Mm-hmm. Um, he plays this character in St. Elsewhere where just so many bad things happen to this guy. He did one of those characters. You know, every drama has one of those, like, yeah. yes, like yeah, you, know, yeah, yeah. you know, wives die. It's just yeah. like this incredibly tragic, sad life. Like, that's the role he had. And so this is kind of like David Morse frown. I'm so used to saying <laughs> he's really having this movie. Uh, no, no, no. But, uh, but he, he's obviously very good. Uh, and then Frank Gorshin's in. I want to talk about Frank Gorshin for a second. Sure. Frank Gorshin plays the, uh, the doctor uh, that smokes, the older doctor. Yeah, that's right. So he was the Riddler. In the Batman TV show. Oh, yeah. That's and right. I am convinced our our, our guest, Kirk Minahan, we had him on uh, last, a couple weeks ago. Like last week yeah. before. 
I think Frank Gorshin as the Riddler looks exactly like Kirk Minahan now. Oh, I see that. Uh, especially when Kirk wears like a green hoodie. Yeah. He looks just <laughs> like Frank Gorshin. They have the same like- uh, He's it, with a question mark on his chest. Right. And he's good to go. I'm convinced uh, they look the Not in this, in this case, Frank Gorshin is a lot older. Way older, And yeah. if you notice the entire movie, he's smoking a cigarette. And condescending too, which is fun. Which is right. <laughs> but he smokes cigarette like basically the entire movie, which is kind of odd because no one knows, but he's like, he's chain smoking the whole movie. Maybe I noticed it more because that's how he died. He had emphysema. Oh. Oh, and, yeah. he, and he died. That seems pretty consistent with Terry Gilliam, Gilliam movies. I think there's a lot of smoking in Brazil too. Mm. It's kind of that like futuristic and it's sort of like a grimy future feel. Well, yeah, I think and this is definitely like noir, like yeah. science fiction yep. noir. Right. And, and, and Gorshin lends himself to that. Gorshin was like a great impressionist too. Gorshin is a really talented guy that just, it never quite clicked. Like mm. He's a Riddler, he's yeah. in this. He was also a master impressionist, um, but he's never quite, like he should have been a bigger star than he was because he's really bright. He's a really smart actor. Yeah. Um. And he he's good in this. Yeah. Um. But he never quite. But hey. But yeah. Frank Gorshin is a uh, as someone who grew up watching those Batman shows. <laughs> I, I'm anytime you anytime an old Batman villain pops up these movies, I'm gonna bring it up and talk about it for five minutes. Right. Uh, so that's my Frank Gorshin spiel. But Willis and Pitt, especially in this, are both exceptional. They're really great. Yeah. Um. And. Brad Pitt sort of plays. Yeah, he's thirty three here, but I, I didn't. I wouldn't have thought that. I thought he was. Mi I would think he was mid twenty. Yeah, sort of early, plays younger, really young, right? really, really spunky, crazy as fuck. They it, did something to his eye too, yeah. right? Did you know they they must have it must be a contact, some sort wearing, of contact yeah. that, that puts uh, made it look like his eye was askew. Really, he looked because when I first saw it, I was like, is he really dilated? Does he look just fucking blitzed out of his mind? No, they actually they moved his eyeball a little. Well, you know with a lens or something. Laura was saying, watching it, it's like almost like his eyes are like moving around, but they're, yeah, almost, exactly. but they're almost dead. Yeah. And it's just like, it's like he was so, that, that scene he does when he's, um, it, when Bruce Willis first meets him and he's giving right. a tour of the insane asylum. With the Looney Tunes going on in the background. Yeah. And the music, that the whole, that music frantic thing. Yeah. And, uh, and a lot of it was like, it wasn't all done in one shot, but a lot of it was done like in one take. Not, right. You know, or you can see there's several takes made, but, um, but he's going on this like monologue, incredibly rapid pace. Yes. And staying in character. And he's like, he's like yelling at other insane people. Like, you know, uh, you know, gather my chair and uh, all this yeah. stuff. And it was just, it was just a, it's a wild performance. And that really to me as someone i know this came out when i was what uh just turned 16 yeah. 15 16 i guess i just turned 16 right um th that really like made me think oh wow this guy's like a legit actor like, right i had seen him in um i hadn't seen him yet in legends of fall you know he had been in like you know figure seven what, was right before this or right after right before right before right but i hadn't seen it yet but yeah so th this is cool about this so when they were shooting this Brad Pitt was a was a name. He was in Delmon yeah. Louise and some things, but he wasn't a star. But yet. he's the third cat. He's the third. The third guy. On this one, right. But then by the time this was released, Seven had come out and he was a superstar. Uh, so now okay. the movie studio is like awesome. We now have two stars. Right. And then uh, and then on top of it, Brad Pitt gives a great performance, gets nominated for an Oscar. I do want to go through who he who because he also won the Golden Globe for this. He did, yeah. Right before you do that, I, I just want to finish that scene. That scene sure. really stuck out of my mind. Oh, yeah, With that Looney Tune part of it too. Um, that music becomes more and more friend there cutting to I think it's a Bugs Bunny scene and then at the as they end the scene it scrolls down and you see one of the patients wearing bunny slippers on it it was I just thought it was such a cool there are the whole thing was so cool a ton of stuff with TV and stuff yeah here. they do um Woody Woodpecker Marx Brothers and, uh, right. they do that the monkey the Woody, uh, uh, there's a, a scene where a guy goes in like a time, time tunnel. tunnel that's right um yeah exactly but there's I guess they were trying to use a lot of these things I guess there's a lot of stuff you watch with, with monkeys in it yeah and then with time travel and things like that in it um but yeah, that seems incredible. It's a great, a great performance by by Pitt there. Uh, it's it's the, of that time period. I say ninety to 
I guess you know him at the end of yeah. seven is great too. Yeah. But th- those two performances are like, wow, this guy is not only is he's he obviously awesome. really handsome. Yeah. Although this movie, he's they play him ugly, which they is totally great. do uh, with his stupid mustache. Oh yeah, <laughs> so funny. So, but he, but he he's so good in it, you know. And then I I, I every once in a while I'll, I'll listen to the Big Picture, which is uh, mm, the, I don't you know, know. on the Ringer. It's a podcast about yeah. movies. Sean Fennessy's on it, and Sean Fennessy has this theory that he thinks like Brad Pitt should have been like a character actor. He's like just too good looking because like in True Romance, he's basically like stoned out of his mind the yeah. whole time. But he's a, he's a, he's hysterical. He's really funny. He's a really so good, he wants him to be Gary Oldman. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think yeah. I think. I mean, he's obviously very talented. Well, in his career, I think like Brad Pitt's like a better even Gary Oldman's a good actor. I think Brad he's Pitt's really even good. like better though. Like, you think Brad so? Pitt's a really good actor. He's really good. Um, yeah. What would Brad Pitt could have had Gary Oldman's career if Brad Pitt was a little uglier, <laughs> right? You know, and it's just right. like, that's an interesting. You know, maybe he doesn't do these movies like Troy or these other movies yeah. where he's like the this handsome reading yeah. man. Like I think he would have had a more a, a I don't know probably for me a better a more interesting career if he had been a little uglier and hadn't done those giant yeah. movies and had been like a maybe he would have had a couple of supporting actor Oscars I mean he just got one he did yep I was thinking this was a risk for him to take because this, this was not a risk for him to take you don't think so absolutely not well Gilliam had just done kind of a number of bombs yes really and it's a very it's a it's a very odd. I mean, it's. I think it's a lot to ask of an audience. Like, it could have gone really with the time travel and the bizarrely shot. Like, yeah, I like this but style. Think about I like where Gilliam's Brad style. Pitt was when he accepted this role, though. But it was at, right after. It was after after seven. No, though. it wasn't. It was. He had done seven, but he had done come seven, out but yet. it hadn't come out. Who knew what that was going to be? Yeah, Fincher, you're right. You're right. Just directly, Fincher wasn't a name yet. You know, Morgan yeah. Freeman. You know, Gwyneth Paltrow was in it. She was nobody. Kevin Spacey. That's true. That's true. Wasn't. Because Kevin Spacey is the one that beat him out for the Oscar. Oh yeah, in for against That's this. Right. So no, yeah. none of these people had names yet. Yeah. So it okay. really wasn't a risk. Well, then what about for Bruce Willis? Then do you think it was risky for him? Because he had already done all the Die Hard, like he was a star from Die Hard Absolutely. and other stuff, right? But he also had that career dip with uh, Hudson Hawk. Yeah, that and, did uh, suck. And we're gonna talk about this a little bit. Our game. I have a game for us to play yeah. as well. But remember, he he had he had just done Pulp Fiction. He did right. That was the other one, right? So yeah. you could say, but I mean, to take a leading role, I mean, he already at this point in his career, Bruce Willis. He had done bombs. He had done hits. <laughs> yeah. At some point, it's not even. He's like risk averse. I guess. Yeah. Um. You, if you want to say someone's risky here, I guess it would be. Um. Well, the studio was hard on Gilliam about this. I bet because of what was it Munchausen? Munchausen the last one was a cost forty-seven bomb. million. It could yeah. Only made like eight. Yeah. So they said, look, you have twenty-nine and a half million. You do not get any more than that. Yeah, I heard but he was I, really hardline about the budget. They do. Before we get into I, yeah, the, do the Brad, I do want to read yeah. Brad because this is this is really interesting. This is probably what the movie at this point is probably most known for. So he there were five nominees, obviously, for Best Supporting Actor. Yeah. You had Tim Roth with Rob Roy. Yeah. Um, you had Brad Pitt with Twelve Monkeys, Ed Harris, Apollo thirteen, yeah, James Cromwell with Babe, and then Kevin Spacey, usual suspects. Right. When the Oscars came, no, so it really was Pitt versus Spacey. Yeah. At that time. That I remember sense. this really clearly because this is when I first started getting really into movies and Oscars and stuff like that. So I remember reading like, you know, all these Oscar previews and stuff. Yeah. I remember it being kind of a, a two horse battle, but people maybe saying maybe Cromwell can, or Harris can sneak in. Tim Roth had no chance. No. Nah. Uh, and he just got the fifth spot there. And he's, he's decent in Rob Roy. I saw it years ago, but uh, it was really their, their thing. And it was funny that Spacey wins it. And because Spacey wins, his career you know, goes, you know, he does. He, yeah, American Beauty. And then which he wins another one for. And then it's, Glenn, you know, Gary, Glenn Ross, I think was after this too, wasn't it? It was before. Was it really? Yeah. Damn. Um, traveling through time. What's that? I said, I'm traveling through time. Traveling through time. Um, yeah, I mean, so Spacey kind of just blows up, right. you know, after this. Um, you know, Kaiser Soze becomes this yeah, immortal yeah. character. Um, you know, Pitt wins, does, does I, I don't think maybe 
I don't think Pitt's career changes if he wins. I do think that Spacey's career changes if he doesn't. If win. he doesn't win, maybe he doesn't get some of the other roles. Maybe he, he doesn't. Um, but it was, you know, it's an interesting thing to have two, you know, Spacey, Harris, Cromwell, Roth, Pitt. Those are five really good or great actors. Yeah, all competing. This shows you what a great time in movie history this was. I really love the mid late nineties in movies. It's probably my favorite time period movies. Um, so stuff like that kind of makes me feel a little better about loving it so much to have that kind of stacked Absolutely. lineup. Um, yeah, so Gilliam with this. So w- this is interesting how this was shot. So this was shot in Baltimore and Philadelphia. Right. Uh, they did not use sound stages. Um, was they, that a money issue? I didn't, is that more expensive to, to do? Oh yeah. It is. I so, so you're there, you know, in some of these, you know, New York, LA, you have tons of sound stages at your disposal. If you're going to shoot in Baltimore or Philly, you might not have op- opportunities. So like they just built a big studio in Atlanta for Tyler Perry because mm. he wanted to have more sound stages to use. They built this huge giant thing. He, his movies make so much money. Yeah. Um, but the big reason was because he wanted sound stages. You do something in Philly or, or Baltimore, you got to kind of shoot on location, which is tough for a big movie. Right. Um, so they went into like old buildings, old warehouses. Like warehouse, right. They, they kind of, we ran into this with Presumed Innocent. Um, last, uh, the movie we just did on, on Saturday. Right. Um, when the scene when Harrison Ford and the, uh, I call I call him Leo McGarry from West Wing. Uh, the detective go and they get that black guy and they um they kind of like rough him up a little bit. Yep. To get the information about the judge, that's shot in an abandoned building. It's not oh, shot yeah. in the soundstage, right? Because they would try to do that on location. They just didn't have the soundstage for it. Um, but I think it's more, especially movie like this, it's more fun without a soundstage. I love when stuff's shot in a location. Yeah. I think that's why Sopranos and Breaking Bad work. Those aren't soundstages. They're shot, mm, you know, just around. All, I know Tony's house is on a soundstage. Some of the interiors were, but a lot of that was shot on location. It yeah. just makes it feel more real to me. Yeah. Um, I love stuff like that. Um, and this movie works because it's in that regard, because it's gritty and real. And Gilliam's a genius. He, yes. You never yeah. get bored with what he's shooting. Think about even at a same time and the cool archway. I know huge ceilings. You're like, oh. what an asylum is going to look like that is crazy. It just looks crazy and, and huge. It looks gritty and, and dirty yeah. and kind of gross. Yeah, there's stuff you peeling be. off the walls, all that stuff. You can't the, re- the hotel that they go to, oh, same yeah, thing. It's all yeah. like beat up. And- you can't recreate stuff no, like can't. that, especially right. if you want it to be a noir. Like, yeah. you know, you really got to be kind of in, because you can tell your art team to make it look this way, but I don't you know. Can't. You can still tell. Right. Uh, so I definitely applaud Gilliam for being, and he kept it in budget. How much is that Gilliam or, and how much is that the cinematographer though? This is the same cinematographer that fallen around from uh, Brazil and Fisher King. So too. the set design is nothing to do with cinematography. Oh, it's not. Okay. No, no, that's production and set design. It's a whole different department. Okay. Cinematographer is more about lighting. Yeah. So he might care about the light coming. And if you notice some of the windows and those yep. like headwinds, so that stuff is stuff that he would be concerned or be excited about or maybe upset about. Yeah. Um, but the actual location stuff, that's not anything a cinematographer typically deals with. Okay, Typically. more lighting, less set. A lot of lighting and a lot of like cameras, angles. So there are kind of crazy angles in this where the camera will swirl. Oh, dude. Uh, stuff in the future or, you know, in Bruce Willis's future when he's like uh, the, the, with the uh, the people kind of watching him, the scientists. Yes. And how they're shot oddly. That's all probably Gilliam, but maybe Gilliam and the cinematographer work together. I don't know. Well, this feels very much like Gilliam because you're right. Odd angle, camera yep. shots that, that sort of change, kind of a bug eye view sometimes. That is... That like that and the the way that that Gilliam treats technology, sort of annoying technology, bureaucracy and technology. Those are kind of the two, you know, things that 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 strike me about what Gilliam does. Now um, this was um from a uh, a short movie in 1962. Yeah, it was a, Fr- a French a French French one. Right? I want to see you get it right. I want to call it like El Jefe. But I'm I just wrong. looked barely. It was almost. It was like a stills, right? That they that I've they never did. seen. I, it. I haven't I seen know, it. 1962, and I. But I guess part of the the 
I really don't like the score in this. I think the score is really distracting. No, um, it's fun. It's very, that's Gilliam too. It's circusy yeah. uh, with, you got some cello and accordion. Uh, the cellist actually is a Grammy award winner. winner. He did, um, he did the orchestration for space oddity for uh, um, what's his face? For Bowie? For David Bowie. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, it's an, it's annoying. It Paul is, Buckmaster's his name. You're right. Yeah. yeah. And it is really, it is your great call on Gillian being very circusy, right? Yes. And it, this doesn't, this, he's trying to make a noir though. So like to have the circus it's music, strange. Is like, it's very, it's very, and it's like not even like unsettling. It's just like annoying. Yeah. Um, and it kind of ruins some of the tone that I feel the actors are trying to convey. I just, I just didn't like it. Um, but you know, that that's, you know, I'm with you on that. I find Gillian to me is like a more cartoonish David Lynch. That's, that's kind of how I feel. Like yeah. David Lynch, maybe, and maybe a lot of that has to do with the music. Lynch would never do, you got Lynch do it, you know, Nine Inch Nails or more aggressive or industrial or beats or stuff. And, not and a big Lynch fan. Lynch, I know you're not. Lynch doesn't hold the plot. I think Gilliam's a lot better with plot. I think so too. And I, cause I was trying to make the comparison in, in my head a little bit. And there are more, I like, Terry Gilliam a lot more. There are more of his films. Uh, Lost Highway is the one for me. They both deal with like Lynch, surrealism. Though. But it is, right, it's surreal. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, it seems that Gilliam's a little bit more cohesive. And there aren't many directors that make major motion pictures that deal with surrealism. And yeah. Gilliam, to his credit, while he did have Munchausen, which was a disaster, and, and um, he did have full creative control over this, which is very rare. Yeah. So he got Final Cut. So, um, uh, but the, the agreement was you can have Final Cut as long as you keep it under thirty million. <laughs> right. And he did, and he did, and it made this. I think this was the most successful movie he did by far. Yeah, hundred so. something. Stars aligned for him. I mean, as yeah. much bad luck as he had with with Munchausen. Yeah. Um, this Baron. It's the Adventures of Baron Munchausen. It's a famously kind of bomb movie. It's not a bad movie though. But it's no. I, I saw it years ago, but it's it's fine. Um, this everything aligned because you had Bruce Willis. Uh, you know, coming off of you know. Uh, yeah, Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. And, 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 and at that point, his career had completely rebounded. Right. You have Brad Pitt, who now is a superstar because of Seven. Yeah. And then, um, you know, Madeline Stowe had, had, was a, you know, a decent name and somebody, a pretty face you can put on posters and she's a decent actress. Yeah. And then um, you had kind of a fun plot and just kind of clicked. It is, it's, it's so weird now watching these um, movies that deal with plagues. Uh, oh, now. I was thinking about the exact same thing. I remember in yeah, Ghost, we didn't talk about it on camera. Or on camera, we didn't talk about it on on air um, because, uh, but because I, I forgot. But there's a scene in Ghost where Patrick Swayze and uh, uh, Go, uh, Tony Goldwyn are talking, and right. Goldwyn is pretending to be sick, and he has a cough. Oh yeah, I and mean, you see him like they're in an elevator. Yeah, I'm and he's sorry, like coughing on people and like covering his mouth and then touching people it's with a, his. It's a prank. You're doing it to just make you uncomfortable. It's kind of it was just kind of be uncomfortable. But but to see it now with coronavirus, it's yeah. really odd. It and then odd. this movie deals with basically the beginnings of a plague. Right. And to see that, it's like, oh, this is really strange. Um, so that was a little, uh, that was a little like, un it's, it's fine. I guess maybe we'll never look at movies the same Probably way not, again. Not with this like whenever stuff. you see like the Twin Towers or you see yeah. like stuff happen on an airplane now, you get kind of an uneasy feeling in your stomach where you maybe, you would obviously wouldn't have had that same feeling in 1998. Um, can I talk about some things I don't like about this movie? Yeah, of course. Okay. Totally. All right. So, a few things. Uh, so we talk about plot holes. Yeah, there are things that anytime you have things like time travel, there's going to be issues. And there is a paradox movie. I'm not going to go too deep into that because uh, whatever. Um, but there are every time travel movie in theory could be could be a paradox. Sure. So just, we'll just kind of skip past that. But right. there are some things I just think just don't make sense. And I think that the plot tries to be too cute. So the construct and the construct of the movie here is that the twelve monkeys actually don't commit the right. Like, all they did was simply get animals out. Um, what happened was it was uh, David Morris uh, who worked the same laboratory was the one who started the plague. Yep. The, the idea that the people in the future don't know this is so stupid. 
it seems weird that it, that they wouldn't unless like complete technology. Bre- I mean, if we just don't know the nature of the play, if it really crushed people in a few weeks, sure. And then like records were gone. And how are records? They I don't know voicemail I don't things. Know. Like they could research. Yeah, you're right. Good like, point. The, yeah. This was also they should know. This was people also were alive then. So you know these. It's just 2030. This has happened 30, 40 years yeah, before. Yeah, Bruce Willis is alive, so... He's a little boy, but, but there are scientists that are older than him. Right. And they say on the t- on the radio that, no, this the 12 monkeys set the animals free. They realize in the cab what That's happened. Right. yeah. This, so this was on major media. The idea that they don't know what started the plague that destroyed, and they were alive during the plague makes zero sense. It's yep. a total cheat to make it, to make it like a t- twist ending. Do you think that that's more... Uh, ridiculous now though when you think about well we have the internet like communication tools are so much better they weren't even checking licenses when she was when Madeline Stowe's right. character was getting on the plane or anything right. so he, I don't yeah I, I'm with but you but they were I'm alive with when I'm the play started yeah, they I'm have to know that like this isn't like yeah I'm with you like, I, that to me makes no sense I, I that makes and if you really think about it for even like a couple minutes you're like yeah. this, that makes zero sense yeah that, another issue why are they flying to Key West? They're in Philadelphia. Just fucking drive. Just drive. I wouldn't have, right. 20 and hour drive. The other thing too is he, know, by that time, Bruce Willis knows, uh, like she looks like from my path, like I know what's going to happen. Get in the fucking car. Avoid the airport. Why Don't go to go, the airport. Even if you didn't put two and two together, why would you fly? I wouldn't. I would drive. She why? She's going through all the trouble to yeah. get a wig on, to get him a wig, a fake mustache, but then they're going to go walk into all the security. I know it's pre-9-11, but there's still a security. Absolutely. Just drive. Right. All you got to worry about is just tolls. I, that makes no sense. No, I, it doesn't make sense, especially when you know when he when Bruce Willis knows he knows what's going to happen. Get the fuck out of there! Don't don't go to the don't go. Maybe he thinks he can stop it. I don't know, but he doesn't even think that at the time. I don't know. I would have driven. Doesn't make sense. So I mean, there's a major another issue too is um okay, I'm not a scientist, so whatever. But he apparently this is a very lethal plague they have, and yes. it's in these capsules. Yeah, he opens the capsule. On purpose. On purpose. No one gets. No, they do. It's not instant. It's, uh, it takes like seven, uh, seven so to ten put, days to So incubate. did David Morris put himself at risk he for did. doing it? Yep. So he did. Yep. He was willing to die. That? You could see it in his face after he does it. He's like, I'm killing myself too for the benefit, like for well, the why? benefit of the planet. But he was why, doing it. Why not just do it after you? Because he had all these trips he had to make. You, would you want to risk being sick to ruin your thing? <sighs> part, of it, part of him is he's insane. He knew, I think he knew the incubation period, but I think part of it knew, I think we needed to know he was that crazy. He was, he was willing to put him, he was, uh, was going to put himself on, on an, in danger too, in harm's way too. I think we needed to know that. All right. That this guy's a I'll fucking nutbag. I'll give you the last one. The other two, I'm not going to give any on. I think I think they tried so hard yeah, to make fine. this a I'm twist ending. Yeah, that's fine. I'm with you on those two. Sure. And this, this happened with Presumed Innocent too. Like, they try to have these twist endings and, and they really like- Didn't need relax. it. Relax. Like, you know, not everything needs to be fucking Twilight Zone. Like, it's okay. Like, just tell a cool story. Like, you don't, you know- Yeah. The, the fun is the journey. It doesn't need to be this like, you know, wild ending. Oh, one more thing I have an issue. Sure. So the whole time, Adeline says like, I know you from somewhere. Like, why would she know him she from shouldn't. somewhere? Well, I think the explanation is she sees him as a kid, and so and but so she she's hadn't got, seen him as a kid. Uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. It, oh, uh, maybe from the images from her, you know, because she was doing these big uh, these talks on uh, on apocalypse past. You know, people who were, she was in '96. She was not yet 1990. She wasn't. And in when she was doing it, 1990, been studying it in 1990. I know, but he hadn't gone to World War One yet. He well, he would have already gone to World War, but one. he didn't know he wouldn't have. So he hadn't gone That's to World paradox. War One yet. No, it's not. It's not a paradox. It, it hadn't happened yet. So, he, no, I know when. Like he ha- he goes to. Uh, so he the goes- picture wouldn't change until like 
I that, say that the picture that doesn't change. I think, I think that the reality is always the same. And he just goes to a different point. Like he would have already always been there. I don't know. All right. Fucking time. You know, I don't want to get into time travel. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's tough. And paradoxy. It's paradoxy. But, uh, but so, so she always knew. But, but we have no proof of her studying this World War One thing, though. That doesn't make any sense. That's, I agree. I think the idea is that she always knew him because psychologically, it was some weird emotionally like, yeah. reincarnation or yeah. some weird time loop thing. It didn't not make explained sense. at all. Like, don't don't have her know him. Why does she need to know him? She shouldn't have to. Yeah, it she shouldn't feel. Doesn't. Well, you do have to make her. Um, you do have to make her. Be okay with Bruce Willis's character, though. At I know some, somehow, and I guess if you put that little added thing of the familiar familiar familiarity, it it gives a little bit more credence to that. I mean, she's a doctor, she's a scientist, she's not supposed to like start falling around a fucking like raving lunatic. lunatic yes. um, with very, there's some proof, like there's some proof, but not quite enough to like put your life on the line. No, I agree. You know, it's definitely a reach. It's there. a reach. It, it, so it, I think that, I think you kind of have to, I think he, but he, I don't know. That, that didn't, I didn't work. For I'm me with either. you. I'm with you. This, so there's, there's a few elements of the movie that just don't quite work for me. Yeah. Um, I understand. And, uh, but it's still than, fun. It's entertaining. That, it's very fun. It's very entertaining. It's very, it's very well crafted. Yep. Like, uh, except for some of these holes in the plot. So the, the screenplay was written by the same guy that did, um, unforgiven. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Um, I have his name here too. Is David it, Peoples, I mean? David Peoples and his wife, his Janet wife, wrote this who's, one, who's but doesn't really write very much. She no, 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 no. Blade um, Runner two though. I'm going to keep Blade, you know, Blade Runner is one of my favorite films. See, I don't really like Blade Runner. That's fine. But also wrote Blade Runner. I, I Unforgiven. Respect, Lady Hawk too, actually. Yeah. I yeah. respect Blade Runner. Yeah. I don't love it. I'm I, big, big I also, I feel the same. I also don't love Unforgiven. I know that's very, uh, people love <laughs> Unforgiven. It's a great movie. I'm just not a huge Unforgiven fan. Okay. I think it's the anti-Western. I love the premise of, yeah. um, you know, you have to live with these things you've done. Yep. I mean, I, I like Unforgiven. I just don't put it in my top mm. echelon. Some people, is it one of your top ever? Is that your... your it's definitely, I don't know, really, top 20. You, I oh, love that really film. Love yeah, okay. I think it's great. Right. I mean, Clint Eastwood is a, you know... I love Clint Eastwood. And I think Clint it's Eastwood. a good movie. I just don't... Yeah. I don't have this like love for it. But it's the same, same right? So, wow, so this guy wrote two of your favorites then. If you yeah. love Blade Runner and you I, I noticed that. I'm like, this guy is... This guy's legit. Yeah. Wow. He's, All right. He's and and so, but I, I did enjoy this. I give this movie a. This is a B plus film for me. Yeah. Same. I, I would have. Okay. I think I used to give it an A minus. Well, I guess part of the problem is now I'm just, I'm, I'm also, when this came out, I really loved it. And the more I watch it, the oh, less I love it. I see. So I'm kind of going in with that. Um, I see. And um, this, every time I watch that, I like it a little less. And then thinking about it for the podcast made me really kind of analyze some of these potholes and some of the things with like, mm. you know, not, you know, why didn't they drive? And especially, um, uh, the other one with, uh, the pothole I had here. Yeah. Oh, the, uh, her, her seeing her, her have familiarity, her, to, her, her knowing him. him. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, Oh, the 12 monkeys, and the 12 monkeys. That's thing. the biggest yeah. thing for me. Is how, yeah, do you, that makes how do you not know that? I could, ex we could talk about it for five more. I don't want to talk about it for that long and fucking, I could probably, I could come up with reasons for it, but they're not amazing. They're not amazing. My reasons are Some of those people were adults when the plague started. Yeah, that's right. Like they were in their sixties. The doctors yeah. were older. I wanted to ask you though, do you like the Terry Gilliam world? Do you like, I mean, this is very Brazil to like Brazil to, to 12 monkeys is a very, you know, there's, there's a lot of commonality commonalities here. Do you I, like this world? Uh, well, same with, with Munchausen too. Is it, yeah. Is it, uh, so I, I, um, I, I'll put it this way. I love when, People have, 
I, it's kind of like you, you with music, right? You always say like, hey, there's only so many notes you can play. Yep. I like people to take big chances and do some creative stuff. Yes. And I think the same way about Gilliam. Like, hey, Gilliam, even his Monty Python stuff, like, you know, right. like he was taking big chances with, with comedy there or with like surrealism here in Brazil and was doing some really interesting stuff with it. And um, I don't think it, it doesn't always land. In fact, I would say with Gilliam, it misses more than it lands. Hmm. Um, but it's interesting and he's trying and he's, being creative and then that kind of why we go to the movies like if you want to go see fucking avengers 7 or hulk versus door or something then go I, or whatever i'm not trying to be shitty about marvel movies but like whatever if you want to go see something that's like a disney cartoon that you know we're gonna get yeah it's predictable it's you walk out you're like all right i spent money i'm like you know and and, and i i was meant that maybe fulfilled mentally then go for it but if you want to see someone that's taking chances right as an artistic vision and is doing things doing differently and this yeah. is where I, we kind of we're going to keep talking about this i know as we keep going along yeah because we're going to the 90s next week too but um you know these 90s movies are creative and they had budgets to be creative with them yeah where nowadays or at least before coronavirus these he wouldn't have gotten 29 or he would have probably gotten 29 million in 2020 sure, to yeah. do this. And it's like, fuck, you can't make it work for that. No. Um, but back then studios were, didn't have to, weren't so uh, tied down to these superhero movies and these star Wars movies. Yeah. And they could have budgets go to other movies. It's creative. It's interesting. And I don't know. Hopefully maybe we'll, maybe with coronavirus, we'll go back to that. Maybe now, you'll see stuff streaming more and movies won't have the budgets they used to have. I don't know. I just want to say one more. Th so one of the things that, that, uh, and I talked, I said, mentioned this before is the thing, one of the things that he does so well is show frustration uh, and annoyance when it comes to like bureaucracy and technology and stuff. Um, I just love how he does, you know, all the future technology stuff, it's all these tubes and wires and it's really disorganized. And in this one, he's like, you got Willis strapped to a chair and, you know, uh, when he's in front of the doctors and like raised 10 for the, for no reason looking, you know, and he's talking to them through this big kind of eyeball looking with a bunch of monitors on there so far when all, you know, all he had to do was get into a chair closer to them. It's like this whole thing is a noise. Oh, and when they send him into the, the past, they put like these alligator clips and shit on his, on his neck. Just all these things are just annoying and, and frustrating up. and they fuck up they all the, the time. Wrong time over and, and over and again. Like, like, and if, and he, I love that. And Brazil is a big one. Cause that's all about, you know, getting lost in bureaucracy. One typo, like just, you know, huge catacly uh, cataclysmic issues from right. it. It's the same thing. I love the way that Gilliam just shows that it, it, it really, it, that hits home to me, that sort of annoyance of bureaucracy. And so one thing about that real quick. Uh, yeah, yeah. So the chair, when it rises up and the eyeball kind of sees him, <laughs> yes. that was, I guess someone sued him. Yeah, I did actually read that too. And that's, that's uh, funny. Originally the deal was that we actually have to take that scene out of the movie, but then they realized, then they came to an agreement, money talks, and they got like something in like the six figures I saw that, yeah. to keep it. So they paid this guy off, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars and just so they could keep that scene. It's a movie. crazy scene it to see scene. that. Like you don't see shit like that in, you know, that it's a little, that it, I wonder if that influenced some of the matrix, uh, uh, cinematography, some of the stuff they use there. Cause it, it, it kind of had that, that a little bit of that feel to it. But too, the government but. thing, you know, the, everyone's a volunteer. Yeah, that's right. so funny to me. Right, like, right, are you right. It's like, I'm not volunteering. I'm, not, I'm in jail, bitch. <laughs> yeah, right. So I think that's pretty funny too. Uh, I, I do, I, uh, this is a good movie. Yeah. If you've never seen it, check it out. Although Definitely check it out. We're probably giving you so many spoilers now. It might not be fun, but, uh, but if you have, if you watch it again. I just, I have some issues with it, but that's okay. Let's talk, uh, let's talk about something. I, you get a game or something? Or, uh, oh, I do have a game. Yeah, yeah, let's game. do that. Let's do that. So this game is called Versus. 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 Okay. So um, we're going to, uh, we're going to go through um, Brad Pitt's 1990s. Okay. Versus Bruce Willis's 1990s. Okay. We're going to take it year by year. Yeah. Whoever wins the most year, years win. 
Okay. And it's whatever you think a successful year is. So um, let's start. Perfect. This yeah. This is pretty easy. So 1990, is my, the only issue is it might take me a little bit uh, to, sc- to scroll through my phone here. So 1990, yeah, Bruce Willis. Okay. I'm only going to talk their major motion picture. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. So he's in three. The one is just a voice. Bruce Willis, by the way, one of the hardest working actors in, in the 90s. For good and for bad. Well, in the 90s, definitely. But even now, he's a hardworking actor in a lot of like direct-to-bullshit fucking yeah, Bruce stupid Willis movies. Yeah, Bruce Willis can't turn it off. Oh, yeah. So 1990, Bruce Willis is in Die Hard 2. Yeah. He's the voice and look he's talking to. That's right. And The Bonfire of the Vanities, which is a famous oh, bomb. Oh, yeah. yeah. So a hit, a bomb, and a voice. Brad Pitt, meanwhile, was... Is that Thelma and Louise year? Uh, actually, I don't think he was in anything in 1990. Okay, so Willis wins. Yes. That's easy. Okay. All right. 91. Yeah. Willis is in Hudson Hawk. Bomb. He also wrote it, Bomb. Ooh. Billy Bathgate, Bomb. Forget that. That's a, it's a gangster movie. It's, it's really yeah. bad. Yeah, yeah, And then he's in The Last Boy Scout, which didn't- Oh, yeah. With uh, Ke- with uh, one of the Wayne's yeah, kids. Uh, Damon. Been, I don't know if it was a kid. It wasn't Keenan. It was Damon. Damon. Uh, no, Keenan Ivory is kind of the the the. But Damon's like not, the godfather. I don't think Damon's his kid. Right? No, 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 he's not. He, I think I, his he might- yeah, he might be. Uh, yeah, and Damon. then he's also in a movie called Mortal Thoughts, which I don't really have. Don't know that about. one. So I would say two of the bigger bombs. Uh, Last Boy Scout was not a hit. That, that movie yeah. did not do do great. Um, meanwhile, Brad Pitt's in Thelma uh, and Louise, which kind of put him on the map. Yep. And then uh, Johnny Swade, which didn't quite work. I would say Brad Pitt wins just because of Thelma and Louise. I guess so, but he's only in there for 10 minutes. But he put him on the map. I mean, it that's, did, yeah. Uh, All right. So All right. one, one. Yeah, one, okay. one. 92. Mm. Bruce Willis is in uh, Death Becomes Her. Which is a, oh, yeah, I remember. a terrible is it Meryl movie. Streep. Yes. And, yeah, Goldie Hawn. Yeah. Uh, a lot of special effects. Does not Robert Zemeckis directed it. Did not work. Yeah. Uh, Brad Pitt is in um, A River Runs Through It and yeah. a movie called Cool World, which didn't work. But I would say Brad Pitt was oh, A River Runs Through It. Absolutely. So Brad Pitt's He's great up two that, to one. Actually. Yeah. All right. I had a theory going into this, but my, my theory is wrong. My theory was Bruce Willis's 90s were amazing. We're, we're going to find out. 93 doesn't help my cause either. No. Uh, he's in one major movie, A Striking Distance, which is the Coast Guard movie with Sarah Jessica yes, Parker. that's right. Which is pretty bad. Pretty bad. Um, 93 for Brad Pitt. He's in uh, He's in California. He plays like a, it's kind of a yeah, dark, very dark I movie. I remember, yeah. But he's also in True Romance. Which yeah, this is, is a three to one lead so far. Oh, Jesus. Sorry All about right. that. I, I could be. <laughs> my theory is falling apart here. 94, he's has one of the most interesting years of any actor ever. Okay. He's in Color of Night, which is a, like a almost like a softcore porn movie. Don't remember it. Uh, it's he he plays like a psychiatrist and he it's very like very mm. intense sex scenes in it. Okay. Um he's the narrator in a movie called North, which which uh, was directed by Rob Reiner, one of the biggest bombs ever. Yeah. If you want to read a funny review, read Roger Ebert's review of North. He eviscerates it. I've never seen a review like it. It is amazing. <laughs> Uh, okay. But he's also in Nobody's Fool with Paul Newman, which right. is a fantastic movie. Yeah. And he's in Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction, right. Okay, so Brad Pitt's got it. It could be tough to beat. That would be um, real tough to beat. Brad Pitt was in Interview with a Vampire Ooh. and Legends of the Fall. That's right. I'm still going Bruce Willis. I've got to go Bruce Willis. I mean, simply because of Pulp Fiction. And he Nobody's is Fool awesome. is really good. He's good in that. I, I don't remember that film, but Paul, he is yeah, so yeah, good. good. Paul, like, that's his movie. Uh, I, I'm going to, I will ignore that he was in a. Uh, Color of Night in North. Uh, so it's so three two. I think so. Yeah. All right. Ninety five. Bruce Willis is in Die Hard with the Vengeance. Okay. Yep. And Twelve Monkeys. Both good. Both good. Yeah. Um, that's the Samuel L. Jackson one with uh, that's yeah, the third one. That's yeah. a really good one. Yeah. I like that way better than Me two. Um, Ninety five. Wait, wait. What about uh, Pitt? P- Pitt. Ninety five is in just Twelve Monkeys. 12 and Monkeys seven. And seven. You got to go. I think you got to go Pitt there. Die Hard with Vengeance. 
I gotta and go Brad Pitt. I gotta go Brad Pitt there. That's four to two. Oh shit! You're getting he's oh, getting, no, I'm getting, getting killed. It. Handed to him. Oh, this doesn't help me either. '96. <laughs> he's in a movie called The Last Man Standing, which is like just a dumb action movie. Yeah. I believe. Um, it's like a western, right? Is that what it is? I don't remember. Uh, '96. He's in Sleepers, which is one of my favorite. Sleepers. Wait, wait, wait. wait. You said he is, but who Brad Pitt. Thank you. Yeah. Sleepers is a great one. Yes. So five, five two. two. Oh, oh yeah. If you want an underrated nineties movie, go check out Sleepers. Yeah, Sleepers it, good. It is. It is. I, I think it's really good. Yeah. I, I I, uh, it's really dark. It's really good. Um, it's about revenge. Um, <laughs> 97 is uh, Bruce Willis is in the fifth element, which I love. Which is good. Oh yeah. And he's in the jackal, which doesn't quite work. Sucked. Um, Brad Pitt, meanwhile, is in uh, the devil's own, which doesn't work. Nope. Seven years in Tibet, which doesn't work. I, I go, haven't seen that actually. I go with uh, Willis. That's Willis. Yeah. Fifth element is so awesome. Five, five, three. three. All right, here we go. Mm. Don't call it a comeback. Uh, 98. <laughs> Um, Bruce Willis is in Mercury Rising. Not good. Armageddon, which is- Oh, that's fine. That's d- fine. Dumb, but okay. Yeah, but it's fine. Yeah, all right. The Siege, which is, eh. No, remember that at yeah, all. Yeah. Is that with Steven Seagal? No, That's no, under, no, siege. under Siege. The okay. Siege is with, uh, oh God. Is it maybe, might be, I forget. It's yeah, a it famous matter. actor. Uh, I want to say Sidney Poitier, but it's, it's not. Armad- um, so 98 for Brad Pitt is- Meet Joe Black, which is not... I got to go Armageddon with Bruce Willis. Is that the only one he did? Yeah. Yep, 5-4. All right, all right. My theory's not as dumb as it was. 99, Bruce Willis is in. Uh, he's in a Breakfast of Champions and The Story of Us, which are neither one, but he's in The Sixth Sense. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and Brad Pitt is in, is in... Oh, man. Fight Club and Being John Malkovich. Oh, no, that's Brad Pitt but then. But he's Spartan being very small. No, but still Brad Fight Club Pitt, Fight Club versus... I mean, I'm a big I'll go Sixth, Sixth Sense. Sense. I'm a big Sixth Sense fan, but Fight Club, dude? Come on. 99 was such a year for movies. Oh, s- I get, I get, I'm sorry. I no. mean, we're different. I think we might be 6'4", uh, and you're 5'5". Five, five. I, I, I'm sorry, but Fight Clubs, I mean, six. I love, I love them both. Trust me. I'm a big Sixth Sense guy. There's a few Shyamalan films that are big for me, and that I'm is one cheat. of them. I'm going to call it. You can't have a draw, right? Uh, fuck. I love Sixth Sense. I, love I know. S- I love Sixth Sense. It's great. It's the, it's the best horror movie fight, ever. But Fight Club. Dude. I'm going to go with my man, Bruce. I'm going to say right, five. All right, five. five. You say I'm six, four. Four. All right. That's so, not bad, though. I'll post, That's not bad. I'll post the poll up on Twitter. Uh, who had the better 90s, Brad Pitt or yeah, Bruce perfect. Willis? And you guys vote. Cool. Great game. That was fun, right? Yeah, it was fun. Shall we move on to the song? Ugh. One Sweet Day. I put it off long enough. <laughs> One Sweet Day by Mariah Carey and Boys to Men. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but there's part of the East Coast family, the boys to men folks. Jesus. I, uh, so every time I drive over here, I listen to this song on, on the way over here. You know, you I listen to this song every time you come over yes, here. Right. It, it reminds you of me. Yes. <laughs> you hope your death. Uh, no, I was just like, uh, the, I, I listened to it twice and I watched the video and I, yep. earlier today and I'm like, I'm done. So I actually just listened to other music. And I'm like, Cause I just, this song sucks. It sucks. Okay. Let's go with, uh, we're just going to really, so Boys to Men is on this, but this is really on uh, Mariah Carey's album, um, Music Box. So we're just going to, we will, we'll kind of ignore uh, Boys to Men. Song? We'll probably see them okay. in the future. Oh, I'm and sure we'll just, we will. And we'll just deal with, yeah, totally. We'll just deal with Mariah Carey. So That's first fine. of all, uh, this is on the album Music Box sold, uh, wait, wait, is it? No, it's sorry. It was on Daydream. Daydream oh. sold 20 million Jesus copies to music box was, but that's not our music box is our bigger album. 28 million copies. I used to listen to Rick D's in the weekly top 40. Yeah, of course. And I want to say she was number one, like every lot. week in the mid nineties. The problem is uh, this, but this song was 16 weeks. Uh, number one on the billboard hundred. 
Why? 16 weeks, dude. This Why? Is, and you know, and you know, she beat out. So this was the record at the time. And it beat out uh, End of the Road, which is a Boys to Men song um, that held it before. That was, that was something like 12 weeks or something. I cannot. I don't even remember this song, dude. I don't either. This is like people, I'm listening to the radio now. Yes. This is, uh, yeah, I'm 17 years old. Of course. You know. I'm listening to you the, were a the senior. Sixth, yeah, I was a senior in high school. I was a junior. Like, my senior I, I in high was school. like I, very I, into music. Yeah, I had a prom. Like, I don't remember this song. 16 weeks. This song is so forgettable. And, and the lyrics are written like a- like a, oh my Imagine God. if you ask a nine-year-old, like, like, what do you feel about death? How do you feel about death? And it's yeah. like, oh, my grandpa died. I'm sad. Or write about it. And this is a song they would write. This is exactly what they would write. Um, this was praised as the <laughs> best collaboration of all time by Rolling Stone at the time. What? Yes. What? Nominated for two Grammys. <sighs> Nominated. Um, <laughs> Rolling, so is this worse than when they put the terrorists in the cover? Yo, the, yeah. The, this oh, is, this, this is, is a way worse, more offensive. Right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, right. way more they offensive. They put the Boston Bomber on the, t- on the, and the front problem, page of the Rolling Stone. This is worse. The problem is this song has is not challenging at all. Like there's nothing about sure. it besides vanilla bullshit. At least that was a chance. Like you took oh, a chance. I mean, it sucks and it was right. shitty and right. it evoked nasty I, feelings. I yeah, yeah, and yeah. the guy is a fucking prick. But like at least- they went for something there. This is not going for any. This song is the like- biggest collaboration ever. ever. Thanks, Rolling Stone. Wait, wait, what? Yeah, I wish I could retroactively go back and, and light that fucking magazine on fire. I mean, that's a, that is a what terrible a strange take. take. It's a terrible take. Um, so one of the reasons why, I, we're gonna go into this a little bit more, but one of the reasons why I fucking hate it so much is because Mariah Carey to me is one of the biggest disappointments in, in, in like popular music. I think, I mean, she is, no doubt, a phenomenal vocalist. She is a, she has, yeah, well, I don't know what she's doing I think anymore. She, I think she lost some of those. Uh, she probably yeah. does. I, I mean, everybody knows she has- a, everyone, everyone had, you know, everyone loses. I mean, everyone yeah, gets yeah. older, right? She, so has a, she has a killer range, yeah. like a huge range. She has huge control and good tone, but and she's in the second echelon to me. So we've talked about this before. Like Aretha Franklin is my number one in terms of, you know, female vocalist okay. ever. She, cause she has all the technical skill in the world, a ton of soul. I think she's that's just kind so of, that's good. Kind I love the, her. That's kind of the stand, isn't it? She's my, I don't know, but, I, but she's I, my stand. I feel like critics put her atop. Well, well, I, you know, I rarely believe, I rarely, I think align with critics, but in this case, if, if that's yeah. what they think, then we align. She's in sort of the second tier with Mariah Carey, with Christina Aguilera for me. In terms of vocal talent, okay. they, they are kind of in there, but, the, but I love the other two way more then I even like Mariah Carey. Her songs are all the same. Like I can't, if you, I listen to like 10 Mariah Carey songs in a row, like her 10, to, I, I, what are her 10 best? Yeah. And it's like, oh, this sounds like this, like this, like this, like this. And the reason why is she does the same thing over, she's just doing vocal acrobatics over and over. That's that's kind of it. She's just doing the shit over and over. And that, that that's what the song is. It's the boys to men guys trying to show off that they can do these like kind of quick lines so you can't, when you do that all the time, you don't get a real good appreciation for melody, for the harmonic component. The, all of her songs, including this one, it's a, it, it is a bed to showcase her vocals and nothing else. The music has no character. It's a, it's a shitty like synth keyboard, bell tone, you know, just very ballady, easy rock song here, with here, nothing. Here's my take on Mariah Carey. Yeah. Mariah Carey is a perfect example of someone who is talented but not creative. Exactly. That's exactly what she is. She needed a writer to help her. She needed a writer to come in and say, Mariah, you're amazing. 
Let's put amazing music around you. Let's put amazing lyrics with you so that we can showcase you in the best. She deserves, her voice deserves the best, deserves the best recording quality, deserves the best song, or song construction around it. And she just never got it. She, they made hits from her uh, and it worked. She sold over a hundred million albums. She's worth 400 million herself. Um, but to me, it's like she, her priority was, I want to be a diva. I don't care about the creative shit. And she's not terribly bright. And uh, although in I guess in defense of Mariah, she sold 20 million like she chased the dollar, which she, I right. mean like Yeah, but I I, I mean I, I you know I well, I, I, I I hate do it it's once. Awful. Do it once. Chase yeah. the dollar and then it sets you fucking free. She and then be an artist. To Tommy Mottola, the guy that runs Sony. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she right. had money's that's not right. an issue with Mariah. I mean, <laughs> she not was, an issue. When she did this song, she was married to one of the richest people. It was back when Sony was worth a lot. Yeah. Like she was married to like one of the richest people in the yep. world. I mean, like she had money. Like, you know, it was not a She's clear she's she still just, was doing this shit. Yes. She's just one of those people. She's a technician. She is technically great and just has no like nothing else no creativity i don't think she's terribly bright she might not be but that doesn't matter like there's you know that can happen i'm sure you know there's probably a lot of jazz musicians too who weren't the brightest bulbs but just virtuoso on their instrument but just could feel the like the soul of the of the music and have that come out she's got like no soul it is so fucking adult contemporary i have a question for you yeah music question so Mm. uh you know people like aretha franklin mariah and christian aguilar they're all like basically like solo acts, right? Like, you know, yeah. okay. Has, yeah. there, has there ever been, or who do you feel is the best female singer that was in a band? Hmm. I don't know. There's like, a lot of, like the cranberries. Like, is she, I don't really, I'm not a big cranberry. Like, I'm just trying to think of like, sing, like who, like what My, females in bands have like, cause I wish like, would have been kind of cool if Mariah was in someone like Mariah was in a band that yeah. helps her write. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think these like Fleetwood people, Mac. Like I something. was just going to say Fleetwood Mac. Right. With uh, Stevie, Stevie Nicks. Nicks. Um, uh, probably the best example of that I'm thinking. And they're, yeah, I just, who I, are they like, cause they all sort of wrote Steven, uh, they all uh, wrote Nick songs Fleetwood, together. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, she was Stevie Nicks as much as a great vocal talent and a lot of character she had, she was also, she was writing the music. She was, she was involved in the whole process. Like one of my favorite bands right now is Haim. I think Haim is brilliant. I think they're really good. This new album coming out. They've reviewed some cuts from it. It's mm. really, I, I'm a big fan, but they are not great singers. No, I think I just love the style of their music. I could, if they were great singers, I want to like them, but it's hard. Uh, there's one song I really like, and then the rest I'm, I'm not. I'm not into. I, I, I like them all. I, I think they're. I think they're all yeah. fine. But like, but they, but they're not. Like I said they're not great singers. If they were great singers who'd like up their game even yeah, more. Sure. And I'm, I, just, I can imagine someone like Mariah Carey, someone who has a great would have benefited. Like imagine if they had a band. Like yeah. they, it would have been like, um, like I said, probably maybe it would have been like Fleetwood Mac or just a partner, like a writing partner that that wanted mm. to you know showcase her in a in a in a more beautiful way. Bjork is like. But she's solo. Uh, Bjork was in a, a band. She was in, um, I can't remember the name of her band before, before she, she just she, went solo. Yeah, she's also insane. I know, but I, but her mute, like uh, homogenic right. is amazing. Like she's, she's done some just crazy great music. She's an artist. Yeah, uh, And has a crazy voice too. She's got a really Not great Not a bad voice. actress either. Uh, no, she was amazing. That what is a dancer in the dark oh, that was with so another depressing. with uh, <laughs> Morse film. Jesus, yeah, don't don't watch that. No, I watched that yeah, once, yeah, and I was like, this is that's wine. enough. Yeah, that's, it's, you know, that's a tough yeah, watch. It, but it's it's, it's hard to watch the raging bull. It's, <laughs> it's really depressing. It, it is a tough one, but yeah. it's it is amazing. It's it an is, amazing it film. Is, yeah. She's great. She's great. Um, her best Mariah Carey's best song probably was Vision of Love, which was her first one. She was like eighteen years old and released that mm. one. That's like the the prettiest song and she did show people listen to that and were like holy shit this chick's got some fucking range 
But that was probably the best one. And then it just kind of all went downhill from there. And so we've railed on this a lot, uh, but I do want to talk about adult contemporary a little bit. <sighs> I know. We've railed on adult contemporary and modern country. It's the same for me. It's passionless music. It's really about the vocal and the vocal's not saying anything. I mean, it's, it's usually someone with good technique who's got good tone or whatever, but it's not challenging to the listener, right? And I know I'm kind of a broken record on this, but art is about communication. It's about an artist having an idea, expressing that idea in some way, and the listener is the other end of that conversation interpreting it. And, but that's not like, you need to have something to say if you're an artist. And adult contemporary to me has nothing to say. It is background music. It's almost as if, to me, I was trying to think about like, how do I describe this in a way? It's like the right, a collection of notes that doesn't bother you. And to me, that's like, it's like a major scale. If you sing, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, ti, la, so, fa, mi, re, do. If you just did that over and over, it's kind it sounds good. It sounds like those notes belong together. It has, you know, there's a resolution to it. It feels like there's a beginning into an end. But that's what adult, it's like adult contemporaries if someone just sang that major scale over and over and over to me. It's fine, they work together, but it doesn't say anything. It's, it's how you create tension and then fucking release in music that says something. Um, now, there are some great songs that you can still fit into the genre of adult contemporary. It doesn't mean that like, like, like there's some, like uh, Neil Diamond, write songs that aren't necessarily offensive to people, but are still great songs because there's there's some depth to it. There's yeah. some like underneath stuff. So sometimes you will get artists that, or Lionel Richie is another good example of that. He has some great, or Carole King is another great, I think she's a phenomenal writer, but sure. she would still, or even James Taylor would kind of be fit in there. But there's like layers. And if you don't dig into those layers, you could, you, you know, it, it, it doesn't challenge you in you anyway. If well, you don't adult dig. contemporary didn't used to be terrible. Like in the seventies, <sighs> singer songwriters, there was some good stuff. Out I of really it. think it a, really like the late eighties, it really shifted. Yeah. I think that's what, ha- I think there was, uh, it, it became a catch all for some R and B. So it, like you could, you, it was the milk toast version of the a bunch of different styles. At least a version, right. Of all these genres. Right. Now I really think, and so the genre is really about being digestible and, I hate to say it, but digestible by low IQ people. I agree. And it doesn't mean that you're a lot, if you like, it doesn't necessarily mean if you like adult contemporary or Mariah Carey, you're a low IQ, but it doesn't. It it's might. Just the t- it might, but it, but it means that this music does. is targeted to those people. Yes. So, um, you know, like if, if, if music matters to you or is important to like dig into it, like go, go a couple levels down, dig into the music a little bit and just see, is there, are there other styles or are there other musicians besides Mariah Carey that maybe is a little more challenging? Like that would challenge your ear a little bit more, but the big perps. So we're trashing it's just over in this episode. We've trashed Marvel movies. Yeah. And we've trashed like basically Mariah Carey and some of the biggest poppets in and now, and, and, and now I'm calling people stupid. And people, yeah, I'm sorry. And people say we're snobs. Uh, we, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I am a music snob. Fuck yeah. I've studied this too, shit right? my entire life. Like, yes. Here are the biggest perpetrators of adult contemporary music. Okay. <laughs> Mariah Carey. Rogue's gallery here. <laughs> Celine Dion. Ugh. Michael Bolton. Yes. Richard Marks. Kenny G. Mark Antony. Anne Murray. Barry Manilow. Amy Grant. Luther Vandross. If you Ugh. like these motherfuckers, you potentially might be an I- low IQ listener. You're dumb. <laughs> You're dumb. <laughs> You're dumb. But there's a common thread. Yeah. Love music. They sing about love. No, my friend. There's a common thread through all of these people. Okay. Including uh, this song that we're doing today. This Mariah Carey song that we're doing today. The common thread is a man named Walter Afonsioff. 
Ooh, who's this guy? He's also known as Baby Love. Uh, he is a writer, uh, producer, co-writer, and instrumentalist that co-wrote One Sweet Day. You may also have heard some other of his songs. My heart will go on. Yes, Titanic, Celine Dion. You may have also heard. Another Mariah Carey. Yep. And the hero. I like the fake live audience in the background. <laughs> yeah, I know. You may have also heard. This is a band called Savage Garden. They were kind of big oh, yeah, in the early 2000s. Yeah, a little Savage Garden coming out of us. Nice. You're listening to 94.9 WHO Jesus Christ, this is WAM all day. You may have also heard. Come on, Peebo. Show me what you got, Peebo! What song is this? Beauty and the Beast. Oh, it's right, okay. Oh, here we go, yep. Oh, <laughs> so nice. Oh, fuck you. This is me. Fuck is, you, Peebo, Bryson. This is me in the backseat of my mom's car. Oh, from, shit. Like, the entire, like, early 90s. Here you go. Is it, we might have heard this one. This guy's voice sucks, too. God. This was the singer in the song? No, no, no. Like, oh, this is, yeah, in the in the actual picture. This comes from the, the cartoon. So this is Aladdin, Whole New World. You may have also heard... Why are you torturing our listeners? This is Michael Bolton from the Hercules soundtrack. Oh, Disney again. Yeah. Disney sucks, by the way. Disney. I also hate cartoons. Yeah, I'm not with you on we're, that. We're going we're, we're to do that later. And then this one's the, the most different. <laughs> Karana's dying over here. Kenny G, of course. Yes, the immortal. All right. This motherfucker, Walter uh, Baby Love. Baby Love, yeah. Baby Love, man. Hundreds of adult contemporary songs. How rich songs. is this guy? Hundreds. He's got to be. I mean, I didn't look, but like fucking. Baby Love. He hundreds of songs that we know. He accounts for countless hours. It's a strange name. Of this type of sound that we've heard. This adult contemporary shit sound that oh. we've heard. This, my friend, is music's Akiva. Is it, oh, his baby love is yeah. So baby love is baby love the new Akiva. Yeah, we have so many bad songs. So it's hard to say which one's the worst one we've, we've covered. I mean, this is up there. I this guess. has got to be up there. Macarena. I am. Barbara said the same thing to me. Mac I was like, this might be the. She's like, you did the Macarena. I'm yeah. like, that. Like, I understood what they were doing with that song. Did you? Yeah, I mean, it was a pop song. It was a fun little dance pop song. This is not like. She won Grammy. She no, she was nominated for Grammys for this bullshit song. Like people thought this was the Rolling Stone thought this was the best duet ever. Why I would mean, you pick the name Baby Love? That's Baby kind of a, Love. Sounds I don't know. Like you might, you know, you like, you know. That's, that's a weird. That's a weird one to go down. That's a weird road. Yeah, I know. So anyway, that, that that's this is that's a, we, adult contemporary. 
Boo. Is it, Boo. So are we done with adult contemporary for a while? Yet? No, we're going to go. I mean, I hope to fuck so, but but we're going to we're gonna hit these stupid songs. So the reason we picked this, this was number one oh, this week. Yeah, this is number one. Yeah, I couldn't avoid it. I'm yeah. like, and the rest of the top 10, frankly, is not very good. But you I was know, like- I listened to so many good songs when I was- I know, dude. But I, I, but I also wasn't, I guess I wasn't listening to like top 40, I guess. Yeah, so I, maybe we should transition into my story All here, right, and then sure. we can go into the into the news. And I'll make this quick. But one of the reasons why I am the way I am musically is okay. because of this time period in my life. So this, you're right. This is my senior year, January of my senior year. I'm I'm basically transitioning into from a high school senior into a college student, and I'm I'm right about to choose where I'm going to go. And I realized like this, the choice of where I went to college was a huge thing for me. Like it's, it had repercussions later on. And I think I might've made, I mean, I wouldn't change it now because like my life gave me, you know, me and you in this room talking this way yes, about this yeah, stuff right well, now. This is, I, this I, I'm having doubts about you. <laughs> but I think in terms of me being a musician and the things that I like, I, I should have made a different choice. I had the choice, basically my two choices were UNH or Adelphi University on Long Island. And right. I mentioned that we before. We talked about it in earlier. And I think about like, the, re, the really the reason why I went to UNH is because I still had my girlfriend here. And I didn't want to, I was 45, I'm far enough away from home. I was 45 minutes away from home going to UNH. Far enough away, but like I still, I wasn't, it was still freaking me out. Like I was ready to move on from my house. I'm anti-authority, anti-establishment. I wanted to be on my own. I wanted to, you know, choose my so own way. So you became way. an RA. So I became an RA later on. Uh, but I, I, I didn't. I, I couldn't go that far away from my girlfriend at the time. I just couldn't. Adelphi, New York, whatever, four and a half hours away difference. was too much. But in terms of like, I got a scholarship from. I basically got um, at UNH with a grant. I got my tuition paid for. Okay. At Adelphi, I would have had my tuition and my room and board paid for. It was a more expensive school, but I would have done better. And the reason why is because they valued what I was as a musician and saw what I was as a musician more so than UNH did. UNH is a fine school for music. Um, and, but what happened was when I went to Adelphi, they were building up their music department and it was a much smaller than UNH. UNH got a really good jazz program. It's, you know, it's a 12,000 person school. It's, it's a bigger school. Adelphi is much smaller. But when I met with the, the, the dean of, of the music college there, He's, he really saw me for what I was, which is this. I am not a virtuoso on any instrument whatsoever. I'm good at a lot of mu instruments. I would say I'm best as a singer. Like I've got really good control and intonation and good, like I can emote well. And it's very, my voice is very flexible. But but what he saw is like, I, I'm really, I'm like good. I'm very well-rounded. I have a lot, I have, my skill set is I could, at that time, as a 17-year-old kid, could play scales on a piano, was very proficient on the clarinet, had a great voice, understood theory, understood um, ear training. I, you know, I could, I had orchestration skills. I could write. He knew, like he knew I could play guitar. And when I went there and visited, he like, he, he sort of kind of, he discovered that over the course of my, you know, two hours with him. We walked around the school. He showed me some stuff. He tested me on piano. He tested me on all these things. He'd heard, I'd submitted like songs I'd recorded of me playing guitar. He just knew. And that's why he pushed so hard for me going there because he valued that. He's like, you are the kind of student that I want here. Someone who, just loves all aspects of this. And that's what I've sort of turned into, not just the technical parts of it, but I also like to record and mix and master. I like every aspect of it, the technical, the emotive, all of that. And he really saw that. Whereas at UNH, they, in most music schools, really value the the virtuoso. They want, because that's what gets them the money. Like if you've got a award-winning uh, winning cellist, mm. 
in, you know, in your right. or award-winning composer or whatever um, in your music department. That that gets you grant money. That gets you know, people want that. There's prestige there, sure. and I get that, but that's not what this guy valued. And um, but I feel very lucky. He he sort of recognized that before I did. Like, I didn't know that then. It wasn't until much later that I recognized what I was. And that brings me back to sort of the end of the high school experience. Reflecting on that, um, the person who was most influential in that part, in my music part of my life was my, my music teacher then, this guy named David Bresnahan, who I had for four years through high school. I sort of, I think back, and I, that was 20 years ago, right? And I sort of wonder if he remembers me you can't remember, like he had hundreds and hundreds of students, even that, even during my high school. He had the Where music you department high school? was huge. It was Central High School in Manchester. Okay, so pretty big school. It was big. It was a 2,000 person school and the music department was gigantic. Yeah. And that was totally a credit to him. Um, he made that thing. The concert band was like 120 or 30 people. The choir was 100 people. Mm. Um, but he built that department up so that it had multiple jazz bands, multiple performing um instrumental groups and vocal choirs and a music theory program and ear, ear training and orchestration and, and conducting. I learned to conduct all sorts of shit. The reason why I, uh, why I am what I am is because he sh like I had access to all those. I was very lucky. Most schools did not have the type of access that I did. So I got to real, like it was basically, he gave me the ability to, uh, to create in any way that I wanted by giving me the technical prowess in any, any way that I wanted to whether it was to conduct a band or to write music or to perform or whatever. So that really, that's what really made it so that I could, I could be this well-rounded musician and be able to talk about break down adult contemporary, mu and adult contemporary music. Sure, with you, my sure that was the dream the entire time. <laughs> that was my dream. Anyway, so that's what I was doing at the time. I was kind of getting ready for college and making a decision between the two. All right. Um, shall we go on to headlines? Headlines it is. Yeah, uh, this is a long episode though, by, by this, the way. This is, I know. Yeah. People are probably- <laughs> No, they're, they're liking they're it. They're liking it. Fuck it. Yeah, of course. All right. So uh, on January 18th, yeah. 1996, Major League Baseball approved interleague play for the 1997 season. Oh, cool. So it, even though it was January 96, they already had the schedule for 96, so they didn't do it then. So uh, they put it in place for 97. Um, and it was, especially then, it was a huge hit. Uh, now it's kind of watered down. They expanded it. That's the problem. If it would, yeah, if it was like it expanded. was, it would have been better. Uh, yeah, see what it, it, it was, was. It was kind of just issues with it. I, I don't like interleague play. I, I kind of hate it. Mm. Uh, but I will say for baseball's credit, which is they wanted a quick buck, it did the job, especially the first few years. Well, I like the idea of seeing my hometown team, fuck them, uh, the you know play teams that they would never would before. With, yeah, you know, it the was Braves fun. Or the, yeah, I guess I, I I I like the appeal of the World Series being special, and so you never see them play. But yeah, that's fine. Um. So this week, you had Russian troops fight Chechen rebels who uh, were holding 100 people hostage. Hmm. Two days later, Russia says the hostages are dead, so we're going to level the town to kill the oh, rebels. Jesus. So then they went in and just like, destroyed this town and then, I guess, in theory, killed some of the rebels. So they didn't save any of the hostages and all the rebels died. <laughs> Well, that's that's a lose lose. That's not a good, not a good one. So, uh, <laughs> but there, I think the most interesting highlight to me was Don Simpson died at fifty two. Do you know who Dom Simpson was? You may not. Dom or Don? Don. No. Uh, so you ever heard you ever hear of Simpson Bruckheimer, the production company? Yeah, I yeah. mean Jerry Bruckheimer, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. So his partner was Don Simpson for huh. years, um, uh, and they were really successful. And how it worked was Simpson was called Mister Inside. He had all these like connections in uh, in the film industry. Yeah. Uh, Bruckheimer was really good at making movies and he was called uh, Mr. Outside. And the two of them 
Bruckheimer wasn't like a straight race guy, but was certainly more so. Simpson was insane. Uh, Don Simpson was completely out of control. <laughs> he like they, I, wild. Like he was like Harvey Weinstein mixed with John Belushi. Like he was sexually harassing women left and right. Oh, Jesus. When he died, he had 21 drugs in his system. He was only 52. Uh, he was a complete madman. But uh, Bruckheimer, uh, the partnership worked really well. I wanna, so I want to go through his whole because he actually made less movies than you might think. Um, but the movies they made um, were, were were pretty iconic. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to find it here. Okay, so they made their splash in 1984, Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. Okay. Then they followed it up in 86 with a little movie called Top Gun, which was okay. the number one movie of that year in the yeah. box office. So then they're off and running. Right. And then Simpson is out of control. Simpson had rumors between 10 and 12 plastic surgeries, uh, including penis enlargement. What the fuck? Uh, but then he had to get something reversed because they had infections. He was, uh, he was a maniac. He was like the complete, like, if you want to look up the word excess, it's him. Yeah. So then they do Beverly Hills Cop 2, and then they do Days of Thunder. And Days of Thunder yeah. doesn't quite do very well, though. It, it made money, but it didn't, didn't. It was kind of their first Yeah, I should have bet right. And people were just sick of Don Simpson, too. So mm. any excuse they had to kind of be like, you know what, guys, take a break. So it took a while before they were able to produce another movie. They did The Ref with uh, Kevin Spacey and Dennis Leary. It's a smaller movie. It's like a, it's a Christmas movie. Oh, I remember that. Uh, um, is, it was the poster uh, with... Uh, with Spacey like tied up in a chair yes, or something. Yeah, Dennis, okay, Dennis okay. Leary plays, a, plays a robber. It 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 was a small movie. It barely broke Annette even. Benning. Yep. Okay. All right. right. Um. Yeah, I think it's Spacey and Benning, right? Which is I think so. They were they were uh, of course from uh, uh, American Beauty. They right. Were a couple there. Um. So it didn't quite it didn't quite work. So uh, but then they uh, followed up in '95 with unbelievable year, Bad Boys. Yeah. Crimson Tide. Oh yeah. And Dangerous Minds. Yep. And three super hits. So they're like, holy shit, these guys are on. It's it's ready to go. And then Don Simpson dies. Yeah. But he did yeah. have one more movie in his sleeve uh, that he had produced, The Rock. Oh yeah. So you can see like, and then Bruckheimer. I actually then, like The Rock. I do too. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's a fun action movie. Yeah, uh, uh, Bruckheimer then took the reins and he became, you know, he did a bunch more movies. Go check, you can check out his, his, uh, his. But, uh, but Simpson was the reason, like he's Simpson, Bruckheimer, Simpson, was a big reason Top Gun got made. Yeah. And you're like, holy shit, you look at these guys. And Simpson's life is insane. They've written books about it. It's wild. Um, if you ever want to kind of read, just go down like a rabbit hole of stuff. Yeah. Check out Don Simpson. And just like, this guy was, like, there's no way this guy could have lived to see 60. And when he died, he looked old. Even though he had, he's just, he's like, he's just a mess. Yeah. But uh, you wonder like, you know, if you ever got famous, what if he just went all in? Just like went in with the drugs, in with the girls, in with everything. He just went full excess. What would that be like? And I guess it would, you it like would him. be like him. You would die. You would totally die, die, die alone. Yeah, yeah die alone. With 21 drugs in your system and uh, maybe an artificially large dick. <laughs> Could be, right. That's Don Simpson. That's a great way to end it, I think, unless you have anything else you want That's to talk it. about. Uh, we're back on uh, Saturday. Saturday and we're going to be covering From Dust Till Dawn. Right. <laughs> the most bizarre pairing ever. Uh, George Clooney and Quentin Tarantino <laughs> yeah. acting. Yeah, that's right. Uh, in a vampire movie. So. And Harvey Keitel's in it too. Oh, yeah. Well. And come back on Saturday. Okay, we'll see you then. Thanks.